You know, we've been really focusing on Sundays about how to prepare our hearts for the coming harvest and for the coming revival. And um, this morning, the Lord um, asked me to speak on um, repentance. And, and so I was like, okay. And so I started going through my mind about all of the scriptures that I, that, you know, we all know very well, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know, that was John the Baptist ministry. Jesus, first thing that he spoke after he was anointed by the dove, the Holy Spirit. And, um, but the Lord said, no, I, w I want you to preach out of Job. And I thought, you know, Job, that's, that's, really wouldn't be my first choice for for teaching on repentance and um but you know i humored uh, the voice of the lord and so i looked up in job and i was thinking you know going through it and thought this is you know excellent and then i saw that the name job means to repent and so um, we're going to go through that today. Um, yeah, right? Don't you love it when he's right? <laughs> Again. <laughs> Always. So um, I want to talk to you about that. But I, first, I want to lay a foundation about kind of the big picture where I feel like that we need to go in repentance. Because repentance means to change your mind. And it means to stop thinking according to um, the world, but begin to think according to the Spirit, because the sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. And it doesn't mean that we won't have wisdom, but the, it, the wisdom that we want is the wisdom from heaven, not the wisdom of man. And so I believe that right now what the Lord is doing is he's taking out a big heavenly eraser, and he's actually uh, erasing a lot of the, of the uh, wrong thinking and the wrong processing in our our minds and the human minds and so there's a there's actually I believe going to be even this morning for you a, an awakening in your mind and an illuminating in your mind that your eyes would be enlightened that's what Paul prayed for that your eyes would be enlightened and that the way that you would begin to think would come from the glory realm and the realm of heaven Amen. Um, so, I was, um, as I was uh, reading about this, one of the um, things that really popped out for me, I was, I was looking online, um, just reading about the news, right? We all read, I read my news. I don't watch my news, and I don't, um, I, I don't listen to it from like the news, the news out, out, whatever, outlets, thank you. I, I don't do that, and I don't do it because the Lord told me not to do it. I don't do it because there's anything wrong with it. It's just for me, the Lord said, I don't want you to watch it, and I don't want you to listen to it. I want you to read it. So I'm like, okay, Lord. So I was reading it, and I found uh, something very interesting. Did you know there's a woman named um, Sarah Greenhouse that... Um, she, through speeches that she's given, she works for the Supreme Court, and through speeches that she's given, her job is to um, assimilate and to um, distribute all of the briefs to all of the Supreme Court justices. So what she is, is she is the information outlet for everything that they receive. And there's something that's referred to as the greenhouse effect in the Supreme Court because since she is the one that gives the information, she has actually stated in public that she can, she's the one that decides the way that the justices will vote because she's the one that gives them the information to make the decisions on. 
Now, there is a huge um, principle that's at stake here. Whoever controls the information and the flow of information controls uh, the results of what happens in the earth. And I, then I saw this other article, and I knew that the Lord was really highlighting this. Recently, there has been a CBS News reporter named Cheryl Atkinson. How many of you have heard about her? She quit her job at CBS, and she's, she's an investigative reporter. And she quit her job because she said that there was so much corruption in the newsroom with the distribution of information to people that her investigative reports were being hindered because they were choosing, picking and choosing, what Americans were allowed to hear. And so she's actually, she was interviewed recently and she said this, I've been wanting to write about the unseen influences on the media by coordinated paid factions, whether they're from political, corporate, or other special interests. The tactics they use to manipulate the images and the information that we see and hear, not just in the news, but on Facebook, Wikipedia, or fake Twitter accounts. It's become a way of life, and I don't think the public is aware of how much nearly every Everything you see and hear today may be influenced in some fashion by a paid interest that wants you to think the way they want you to think. Isn't that incredible? And so what I believe that the Lord is saying today, that whoever controls the words controls the debate, and whoever controls the debate controls the outcome. So I think that what's happening today is that there is a war on words. So turning your Bibles to um, turning your Bibles to Matthew four, because I want to talk to you this morning about the temptation of Jesus before we go into Job. Jesus was tempted three times. Okay? So he's anointed by the Holy Spirit. And then he is, he is tempted three times. And the first time that he is tempted, Satan comes to him and says this, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. And Jesus says, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So he said this, he said that every word that comes from the mouth of God, or that comes from heaven. And he said that these are the words that you are to live by, and these are the words that are supposed to influence you and supposed to land in the landscape and the real estate of our minds. Because whoever is influencing us and whatever words are influencing us will determine the outcome of our lives. So that was the first test. The second test was this. 
Satan said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, this, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. So the second one was, he said, you shall not tempt God. Did he say, you shall not tempt man? No, he said, you shall not tempt God. So the temptation was not about an issue of sin. The temptation was that Satan was telling Jesus, hey, I want you to take your situation into your own hands, and I want you to act in your own self-interest. And he said, this is actually tempting God. And so the third temptation was this. He takes him up to a high mountain, an exceedingly high mountain, and he showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Now, he's, when, he, when he tempts him the third time, he says to him, he's not tempting him with something like some sort of sin. He's actually tempting him with the promise that he was carrying within him. He knew what he came for. And he was saying, okay, now, I, I, I'm, I, I'm going to give you all of this if you fall down and you worship me. And Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and only him you shall serve. So the third thing was worship. So he was tempted in the area of worship. Okay, you shall worship God. So look at the three of these. You shall only hear the voice of God. You shall not tempt God. And you should only worship God. So there's a theme going on here. Can you see that? All right, so the focus is not on man. And so what he was doing every time is he was trying to get him focused on himself. Satan was saying, I want you to look at your own needs. I want you to look at, at, at these words. I want you to look at um, the promises and the, the destiny and the reason that you were created. And I want you to try to get to these places in your own thinking, in your own way. And so on the, when he was on the mountain, I want you to know there were two priests on that mountain, right? There was the high priest, and then there was the priest of Baal. Now, the priest of Baal had access to all of the words that were coming from the second heaven. He is distributing these words. And then the high priest is there distributing all of the words from the third heaven, which is the throne of God. <clears throat> okay. What's, what I find very interesting here is that if you look at this, you'll actually see the Lord's Prayer in this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Bringing these words from heaven into the earth. Give us this day our daily bread our daily bread, this place of the word, we have to have our daily word from God. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation, this place where we will be where we will tempt you, God, by taking things in our own hands and try to get there in our own strength. Praise God. 
And he said, hallowed be your name. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. I will worship you and you alone. So there's a repeated pattern that is happening here in the area of, of repentance. And I want to show you Job because Job, go ahead and turn there. Job is a perfect example of this reality in our lives and how there is a war going on. A war of words. Let's start in chapter 1. Verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, For where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the, on the earth, from walking back and forth. Well, that's not good news. <clears throat> then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and shuns evil? And so the word from heaven is being spoken over this man about who he is, about who he is and what he's done. So Satan answered the Lord, and he said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. And so Satan is telling God, Listen, um, this man is so incredibly blessed. Of course, He's upright. Of course he worships you. Look at all that you've done for him. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has. And he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So then uh, Satan goes and he, the hand of God is removed from Job. So there is a time of testing that Job has now entered into. And, and um, he ends up losing all of his possessions and he loses his children. And then his response is this. Verse 20, then Job arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground, and he worshipped. And he said this, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed is the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin, nor charge God with wrong. So in this, what he did is he said, he, he followed the model of Jesus. He said, the words from heaven are true and amen. I will not be, I will not tempt God by accusing him of doing wrong. And, and, and he, he did what? He immediately worshiped God. So Satan returns back to God in the same way the second time. And he comes before him to accuse Job once more. And he says to him, okay, Job did well. God is like, this man, you know, has been found to me to be blameless. This is what God said about him. The Lord said to Satan, have you not considered my servant that there is none like him in the, in the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. He still holds fast to his integrity. 
That means his purity, his purity of heart. He still holds fast to me and his opinion of me, even though his, his, the, the things that I had blessed him with had been taken from him. And Satan, because the, here's the argument. The, the, he, the, he was saying, Job loves you because of how you've blessed him and the ways, and, and he loves you because of your hands and what you're doing for him. But does he love you, God, for who you are? Does he know you? Does he know who you are? And will he love you even when it seems as though you are not being blessed by him? So he said, uh, okay, listen, I'm, he's going to get tested again. And this time he's tested with his health and he is... Um, the Lord said you cannot kill him, but Satan uh, smited him with boils and um, he was just nastiness. So in this second time, it's very interesting because again, Job responds in verses 9 and 10 and he responds rightly. His wife comes to accuse him and says, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. And he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and shall we not accept adversity? In this, Job did not sin with his lips. So the words that he proclaims is that God is good. However, at that time, Job was standing uprightly and then enters in his friends. So his three friends come along and they begin to comfort him in the name of the Lord. So they begin to give counsel to him and they begin to speak words to him like, well, if these things are happening to you, you know, and you say that you are righteous, maybe there's something else going on. Why don't we just evaluate your life to see if you're truly righteous? So they begin to evaluate his life and they begin to take his eyes off God and to take his eyes on himself. And so it puts Job in a position to have to defend himself before his brethren, before his brothers. And he begins to get in a posture of saying, I am righteous before God. I am blameless before God, but yet God has done all of these things. So what happens in these the dialogue and the dialogue lasts for 29 chapters of these guys sitting around pontificating on all of the ways that he could possibly be in sin and and what it did is it took him from the heavenly realm into the earthly realm it took him from all of the words that god was speaking over him and his adoration of and, and worship it took him out of that posture and and he began to look at his friends and his be friends began to accuse him basically and he got in the posture of defending himself and then also saying that God is unjust for doing all of these things because he's a just man. <clears throat> Very interesting, isn't it? 
And so the words that they were speaking over him had power. And as they began to speak these words over and over, it began to weight Job down. And, and he was talking to them time and again about, I just want to die. I wish I had never even been born. I am so heavy hearted now with all of the conversations. But you notice the first time when he immediately went to worship, he was actually being set free of the bondage of the heartache. So I want to show you what happened when a fourth voice breaks in on him. So 29 chapter, he's dialoguing with these three friends. These three friends were peers of his. These three friends were elders who sat at the city gates with him. And then turn to chapter um, 32. So in chapter 32, you have a voice that breaks in over him, and it breaks the power of the dialogue that is happening in the earth. And it's the voice of the prophet. Oh, I'm in Psalm. How did that happen? Chapter 32. Elihu, who is a young man, who actually said, listen, I have let the three of you talk. And you've been talking a really long time. And I decided to say nothing because you are the elders and I wanted to listen to the wisdom that you would share with Job. And I trusted in your counsel that you would bring the wisdom that would help him and aid him and return him back to God. But in fact, he said, your words did not do this very thing. So he says this. I am young in years and you are very old. Therefore, I was afraid. Oh, verse um, 6. Therefore, I was afraid and dared not to declare my opinion to you. I said, age should speak and the multitude of years should teach wisdom. But there is a spirit in man and, a, and the breath of the Almighty gives him understanding. Great men are not always wise, nor do the aged always understand justice. In verse uh, 18, he goes on to say this, I am full of words. The spirit within me compels me. Indeed, my belly is like wine that has no vent. It is ready to burst like new wineskin. I will speak that I may find relief. I must open my lips and answer. Let me not, I pray, show partiality to anyone, nor let me flatter any men. For I do not know how to flatter, else my maker would soon take me away. In, in chapter 33, verse 4, he says this, My lips utter pure knowledge. The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. At verse 6, truly I am as your spokesman before God. So he presents himself as a prophet, and he said, Now I will speak. He begins to declare to him the goodness and the majesty of God. And he said, this is the truth, that God is good despite your circumstances. He is no other than God Almighty that has lived forever. He is all knowledgeable, all majestic. 
He has created the heavens and the earth. So he begins to proclaim and prophesy the knowledge of God. And what it does is it breaks the back of the confusion that Job had been under in his mind. Through the witchcraft of these three friends. Any word that does not belong to heaven belongs to Baal. And it creates witchcraft and confusion in our minds so that we will not know how to live and be victorious in Christ. All right. So the prophetic, what it did is it actually provided the road that the voice of God himself rode in on. It provided a highway into his mind where the voice of God broke in. You see, the prophetic is the vehicle that carries the breaking in of God over people. And so after... Elihu had spoken and had prophesied. God comes and he steps up in the scene and he steps upon the mind of God. and I mean the mind of Job. And he says this. As Job had been questioning God about his goodness, God breaks in and he says, Then the Lord answered Job, chapter 38, out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this who, is this who darkens counsels by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man and I will question you and you shall answer me. And then he goes on and he begins to talk to him about Genesis 1. And the language in this book where God is explaining where his mind was on that day, on those six days as he was creating all of creation, is really the most exquisitely powerful poetry about God and his thoughts and that day, that he, what was he thinking and how did he see it? So I wanted to read some of this to you because if we can keep this in our minds about who God is, it really does cause us to just go to him for all of our needs, all of our concerns. And he says this, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who has stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted with joy? Or who shut up the sea with doors when it burst forth and issued from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and the thick darkness its swaddling band. When I fixed my limit for it and I set bars and doors. When I said, this far you may come and no farther. And here your proud waves must stop. Have you entered the treasury of snow or have you seen the treasury of hail? 
He's talking about these places that are within him and the things that he did when the words of heaven came forth in the beginning. There was so much song and there was so much brightness that was being released on the earth in that day. That it was like, it was like the most beautiful canvas that he was painting for us. The greatest artist that has ever lived. The greatest poet that has ever lived. The greatest songwriter who has ever lived. And all of these things, he is the most creative. And he said, where were you when I was doing all of these things and still I am doing them? My words are the most creative and my words over you bring creation. They bring life. You can't listen to any other word. Your minds were not created for any other words other than my words. And when you go there and you listen to another, it's like I'm a jealous God to bring you back to myself because I see all that I created and how I have created order and beauty, how I've created limits and boundless love for you. How the treasuries and these rooms that are in heaven that are in my Father for you to explore such an enormous adventure for us in Christ if we live this way. And the beauty behind this is that the revelation of the goodness of God once more restored him back to God. It was God himself that broke in over Job. And it caused the goodness of God, the kindness of God, the revelation of who he was caused Job to fall down and repent. And the beauty of that is that when he did, he got a double portion. So let's read it. Job 42. I'm sorry, I have to turn back there. Wait. There it is. So Job answered the Lord. I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. I will quest you said, I will question you, and you shall answer me. He said, I have heard you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. I have heard you by the hearing of the ear, but now you have opened my eyes. I have heard of the good things that you do, but now my eyes see your face. And it's your face that has caused me to repent. Because you are so perfect in all of your ways. That you are so good. 
I see you rightly. And so it was after the Lord had spoken these words to Job that the Lord said to his three to one of his friends that had accused him my wrath is aroused against you and your two friends for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has now therefore take for yourselves seven bulls seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering and my servant Job shall pray for you for I will accept him, lest I deal with you according to your folly, because you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Verse 10, And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. See, when we forgive and walk in forgiveness, and when we humble ourselves, and we bless those who have led us astray, or bless those who have cursed us, the Lord will bless us. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. And it goes on to say that he had more children and that his, uh, he was the wealthiest man in the land. He was the wealthiest man in the land. See, beloved, when we begin to get in our right minds, when we begin to see God rightly, when we truly repent, what it does is it causes our minds to stop eating of the things of the earth and the opinions of man. We are in a war right now, and it is a war of words. And we have to determine ourselves that we will listen to the opinions and the thoughts and the perspective of God and Him alone. Your circumstances, even though they may not be good, it doesn't change who God is. That He is good and He is always good. Whether you've experienced death or financial loss or a loss of a brother in Christ, a relationship, it doesn't change God. And, it, and if we could just respond in this way, then there would be very little time in the wilderness for us. The word says that it's God that woos us into these wilderness times to teach us his ways and to reveal himself to us in a deeper way. And we must say, I embrace this. I partner with you in your sufferings in this season. But I'm telling you, beloved, if you will worship him over this and not get into uh, self-thinking, self-pity, self-evaluation, uh, uh, um, um, self-protection, um, if you don't get into gazing on self but gazing at God and saying, I need your perspective on my life and on you. Let me see you rightly. I worship you. I worship you. And I'll, I'll give you a, a quick testimony. And then I want to pray for you. Um, I was driving this really old car. You know, I told you guys about the car on Thursday. Really bad old car. And um, 
I've been complaining about it, you know. This was the car. I had transportation, praise the Lord, but that's not really the way I saw it. It really wasn't kind of up to my standard, you know. I would shut the car off, and, and then the car, the, the antenna was stuck, but the motor kept going. How many of you guys have experienced that? And so you leave your car, and there's this loud sound that goes, ping, 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 and everybody's just kind of look, you're like your car's still running or something, you know, and I'm just like... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, glory, humility. <laughs> so anyway, I'd been complaining about this car. And, and then it started to make a funny noise, a funny sound. And John said, well, I want you to go, go take it to Walmart and have them check it out. You may need oil because oil had been dripping out of it. And um, so I did. I took it to Walmart. And, they, and, and, you know, Walmart, you can drop your car off and then you can go shop. It's great. And, and then they called me over the... the um, PA system, thank you. And um, Tracy Eckert, you can come pick up your car. And I thought, wow, you know, I've only been shopping for like 50 minutes. These guys are good. So I take my little, you know, cart over and, I, and I'm like, okay. Um, so I'm talking to the guy and he said to me, um, ma'am, your car actually isn't finished. It's just that we can't put oil in your car because when we did put oil in your car, it, it just filled fell out of the bottom so it's pouring straight through and and of course uh, uh, in God's sense of humor I'm standing next to a teenager that has a brand new Escalade and I'm like and, they, and he's got my he's got my car out there with dents and everything in it and the broken windshield and the, the busted out uh, uh, um, yes. um, what is that the console is all busted out so they've got it. The, they've got the hood up, and they're trying to put enough oil in it just to get me home. And so I'm like, "Praise the Lord!" Okay, actually, that's not what I was saying. I was I was actually complaining. And so I'm on my way home, and um, I just, you know, how you complain about your car until it starts to break, and then you're like, "Oh God, I'm not gonna have a car. I'm gonna be walking." And I don't. Yeah. All of a sudden, that car becomes like a chariot. <laughs> And so I get it home, and there's that spot in the driveway where it'd been leaking oil. And I, you're gonna laugh, but I, I just laid on the hood of this car, <laughs> and I'm like, oh Lord, you're good, God, you're good. This car is not so good, but you are good, God, and I just declare your goodness over this car. Not kidding, I was laying on the hood of the car, and um. So I just went in and I began to worship the Lord because this was a really big deal. Me without a car is a really big deal. And um, I just began to worship the Lord immediately. I went in the house, I put on worship music, and I began to declare God's goodness over my life. <clears throat> so I, um, John got home and I said, hey, um, the guys were telling me, we just need to take this into like a car shop and have them look at it. And so I, John said, well, uh, put oil in it. And, and, well, not me. I mean, he put oil in it. <laughs> I wouldn't even know where the oil goes. <laughs> I know where it comes out. <laughs> so um, I did. I put oil in it. And um, I just didn't go get it fixed. And um, the long and short of it is the oil leak stopped. And it never leaked oil again. Because I was not going to, and, and, and it was just a heart response. God, you're good over my circumstances. You know, my circumstances may not be good, but you're good. 
right? We get the word from heaven. We do not tempt God by trying to get to the things that God has for us or to throw ourselves down or to get into self-pity. And we worship God. It's so simple. So I want Jared to come up and um, lead us in some worship. <clears throat> this is what I really want to do this morning. If there are places where you haven't been listening to heaven over your life, and you know that you haven't been listening to the words, but you've been listening to criticism or even self-accusation, I think it's time to repent and change your mind. Because the opinions of God over you are good. His words over you are good. He doesn't look at you and think, anything bad. Anything. He just sees how beautiful and wonderful he's made you. And the thoughts over you are good. <laughs> 